We're thankful for that. Well, we're continuing the journey out of Easter. We uh, spent Easter looking at uh, Jesus' first appearance uh, to his disciples. Last week, we spent uh, time with Jesus' second uh, appearance. And, uh, and this comes now to his third scene of appearance out of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. And uh, 19 verses, it's a, it's a little bit of a chunk of a story, but, but it's a story that we want to tell this morning. So I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, which is John, is the disciple, says to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water, and the other disciple followed in the boat, and they towed the net full of fish, for they were about a hundred yards out. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full with large fish, 153, but even so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? For they knew this was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, we begin thinking about Simon Peter out in his boat. And he's fishing uh, along with the other disciples. And he's thinking deep thoughts i got to imagine that he's thinking about all that has happened over these last days. And he, he, he recalls that it's just been, it seems like a few months, but, but now up to, up to three years ago when, when Jesus called him and, and he left his nets as a commercial fisherman and went to follow Jesus. He followed Jesus and Jesus poured himself into to, to Simon. He, he liked Simon. Jesus even changed Simon's name to Peter, Petros, the rock, because Jesus felt Simon was stable and solid like a rock. And then all of a sudden, everything turned sour. 
Jesus was arrested and Peter the rock got scared. And on that fateful night, he denied the Lord three times. The next day was Good Friday and Jesus was nailed to the cross and Simon was devastated and he was defeated and brokenhearted. But then came Easter. And when Easter came, Simon was, was excited and gratified and, and there'd been resurrection. And yet, and yet there's still this confusion and, and he's perplexed about his own future. Peter returns to Galilee with his friends and several days pass and nothing happens. They were supposed to go and, and wait to see what God would do. This is where we pick up now in, in our scripture in John chapter 21. Simon Peter and his friends have been waiting. And they've been waiting and, and nothing has happened. And, and, and they're not real patient. They're waiting for direction of God. And, and finally, I think in typical Simon Peter fashion, he just says, I'm just going to go fishing. As if Simon is saying, um, I just can't handle this any longer. I, I, I've been waiting for God to show up to answer. And so I'm just going to kind of do things on my own. Not that any of us have ever dealt with that in our life um, on waiting on God's timing. But there just seems to be this thing where we're just kind of done waiting. And, and I'm just going to go. And he goes back to the things that he finds secure of being an old fisherman. If you're picturing Peter and, and James and John and Andrew um, in their fishing out in the boat, if you're picturing them with a lemonade in their hand and their feet up on the bait box and they're just watching a pole telling stories, then, then you're, missing, you're missing how these guys fish. These, the, these guys fished with nets, heavy, smelly, prone to tearing. They had to repair them over and over again. It's hard work. They're not fishing out there for fun. Uh, they're commercial fishermen. And they fish all night, and they've had no luck. And, and as dawn breaks, they see that there's somebody standing up there on the beach. And, and we know that it's Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus at the time. And, and, and he yells out to them, hey, you know, if you're not having any luck, just put the nets on the right side of the boat. I mean, everybody knows you can't catch fish on the left side of the boat. Put, put the fish on the right side of the boat. And amazingly, they do it. And they, this huge catch of fish come into the nets. In fact, there were 153, John tells us. And, and, then, it, and then it was John who says to Peter, he says, Peter guy on the beach. That's Jesus. Peter doesn't waste a minute. He grabs up his stuff and he doesn't wait for the boat. He jumps in and he starts swimming and he swims to the shore. The other maybe more responsible disciples, they, they bring the boat in and drag in the fish and they come to shore and Christ is cooking breakfast for them over a charcoal fire. He serves them breakfast and then he takes Simon Peter off to the side and he asks him the question three times, do you love me? Oh, yes, I love you, Simon says. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The story ends then exactly the way it began three years earlier. With Jesus saying to a fisherman, come follow me. It's a great story. It's jam-packed with stuff and powerful symbols and strong emotions and dramatic lessons that, that we could talk about all day. And I'm only going to talk, you know, three or four hours about it. But there is some good stuff that's here. I got to thinking, actually, that, that often, and, and there's been more recent, recently than, than, than not, people will come to me and say, you know, Chad, I, I want to read the Bible. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I read it. I don't know what to do with it. So when I read it, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do after I have... I have read it. Um, and so I got to thinking that, that maybe we could, maybe, this would be a little different sermon this morning. Maybe we could kill two birds with one stone. Maybe we can take this post-Easter story, but that we could also talk about 
What does it mean when you're in your devotions and you're reading something in, in, uh, in Scripture? What, what does it mean to take that passage and then to understand it a little bit? And so, um, because sometimes we, we fall into this trap in our Bible reading, I think, um, that just says, well, we read. But we never think about what does it mean? Or we fall into this trap that we, that really the most divine gift is that we're speed readers. Got through 17 chapters today. Um, but I'm not sure that God's looking for us to be speed readers. I, I think he's wanting to, us to understand. I, I went into my daughter Wendy's room last night, and she's doing homework on her bed. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, reading comprehension. I hate it. Because um, the hard part is not the reading. The hard part is actually the understanding and the applying. And so this morning, I want to just give you three questions. I want to take this passage, and and a little different today, a little more of a teaching time, and break it down into three questions. And and this might be three questions that you could use in another scripture as you do your devotions this week. So here's three questions that I find helpful, uh, even in my devotions and in even preparing our messages on Sunday. The first question is, what do you see here physically? When I read a, a passage, as I get ready to think about a passage that I'm preaching on Sunday, I, I, I really will read the passage and then close my eyes and try to picture the scene. I try to draw the picture in my mind. I, I try to see the boat and the fishermen and the beach. And, and I try to notice all of the details physically that are there because I think sometimes they can begin to talk to us. Now, let me just, let me just take a brief off the side for a second and say sometimes the details don't mean anything. Or sometimes you can get caught up in the details and you can miss the big picture. For instance, look at John 21, 11. It says this, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even so, the net was not torn. Now why does John include that there are 153 fish? You ever wondered that? Most of us know. But there are plenty of scholars who have, who have thought about it. For instance, Cyril of Alexandria in the 5th century said that the, the 153 stands for 100 represents the fullness of the Gentiles, 50 symbolizes the remnant of Israel, and 3, of course, is for the Trinity. So 153. Augustine's theory is a little more complicated. He said, well, there are 10 commandments, and then 7 is the perfect number of grace, and so you add 10 and 7, you get 17. Now, if you start adding 1 plus 2, 2 plus 3, 3 plus 4, and you go all the way to 17, you get 153. Augustine said as well, here's another way to look at it. He said, if you take 153 fish, and you start with 17 fish in the first layer, and then you go to 16 fish, and then, what's next, 15 fish? Poor school district for me. 15, 14 fish? He says, in the end, it will form a triangle, which is the shape of the Trinity. Thanks be to God. Um, Jerome also lived in the 5th century. He suggested that there were 153 people types in the world. And so that what John's gospel here is saying is, is, that, is that the, the 153 fish represent the people types, and Jesus came for, for all the people types. Now, the, the, the Bible code people have their own theories, and you can go to a whole bunch of different places. You can see discussions about why there were 153 fish. I have arrived at what I believe is my theory for this, if you care to listen. And even if you don't, you're sitting there, you'll hear it anyway. But I, I think this is why John included that there were 153 fish. Because there were 153 fish. 
And, and I don't mean that flippantly. I, I just, I think, you know, you're a businessman. You're in business, the same business as your father. You're a commercial fisherman. You're in the first century Palestine. You've just caught this whole boatload full of fish, and you've got to take them to the market, and you've got them on the shore. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to count them, right? I've never met a fisherman yet who didn't tell me how many fish they caught, plus a few more along the way. So I say all that to say, sometimes you can get caught up in the stuff that doesn't tell the whole point. Be careful of that. Look for the things that really point you to what, what, what God's really like to speak to you then. I think there are some things that we learn through the physical things that we see in this study. And so let me share those with you. I think um, we don't want to get caught up in the trivial, but, but I think there are some things, like, like the disciples fishing. I picture that in my mind, and I, and I think about how they got there. And I, I really do think that it can represent the temptation that all of us face to throw in the towel when we're waiting on God's timing and he's not, he's not on our timeline. And sometimes we can throw in the towel and we can even get so frustrated we go back to our, our own way of life. It is a temptation to think, God, I've waited on you long enough. You haven't done anything. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get involved here and I'm going to take some steps and I'm going to move this on. And sometimes that even takes us in an entirely the wrong direction. What else do we see when we think of the physical? We see the breakfast there. Why does John tell us about the breakfast? Ghosts don't eat. Ghosts don't eat. We see Jesus here in his earthly, resurrected body eating, physically documenting the reality of the resurrection. What else do we see? Jesus is, starts a charcoal fire and then cooks fish and bread. A charcoal fire. Now, some of you will need to turn to your children later and explain to him that not all fire comes in a propane tank. Um, but they could have used wood. They could have used, which have been common in that day and still today, camel dung. You could start a fire with that. I'm not sure what that does to the meat. I don't really want to know what that does to the meat. But we, we know here, when we look at the original language, this is a charcoal fire. Why mention that? You know, there's only one other place in the New Testament that mentions a charcoal fire. And it's a few chapters back. It's in John chapter 18. After Jesus' arrest, Paul is following Jesus, and he goes into the high priest's courtyard. You remember the story? It is cold outside, and he warms himself, and he is standing next to a charcoal fire, and there's a woman who comes up to him and says, Hey, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? And you remember his answer, No way. I'm not a disciple of Jesus. No. Aren't you a disciple of Jesus? He stands there by the charcoal fire, and he denies even knowing Jesus. He denies not once, not twice, but three times. Now fast forward to the next charcoal fire. And instead, he's asked not once, not twice, but three times. Do you love me? You can learn a lot by just paying attention to the physical circumstances that you read in a passage. The second question that I think could be helpful in your, in your Bible studies at home is, is, is what's taking place emotionally? This is a poignant story that has, has emotions of fear and guilt and remorse and excitement and self-doubt and bewilderment. Simon has got to be feeling all of those things. He's got to be packing those around with him. He's kind of at a crossroads now. He's kind of in a place where you and I are, where we have to decide, we've just gone through the resurrection. What are we going to do with it? What is the resurrection, uh, how does it lead us to live our lives differently? How do we respond to it? All of those things must have been a part of Peter's mind. 
as if Jesus is on the shore and he goes to Jesus, I got to imagine somewhere along mid-swim, he begins to remember he and Jesus haven't had a conversation about this denial thing yet. This is the first time they've been together and they're going to have this meal together. Do you remember the last time they had a meal together? The very last meal they had was Passover and it was Peter who stood up and said, oh Jesus, he puffed out his chest big. He said, oh Jesus, I would never deny you. I would lay down my life for you. And now he finds himself in this place. I don't know, you ever been there? I have, I've been in those moments. I've been in those moments where I've said, where I say with my life, God is enough. I say with my Sunday morning singing, God can handle any of those things. I proclaim those things and then the hard stuff comes. And it becomes this moment. Do the words that I speak, are they really, are they really what I believe in my life? I gotta think that's part of what Simon Peter was thinking that day as he jumps into the water and rushes to the shore. And yeah, he's always been an impetuous guy, but I think there's more than that. I think that it's Peter's way of knowing he's been carrying around this guilt. He's been carrying around this stuff and he sees Jesus and he just wants to get to him. He just wants to be the one who gets there and he wants to be in front of him and in his presence and he wants to show him that he loves him. And Jesus is so perceptive. He knew exactly what is taking place in Simon's life. And just like last week with Thomas, Jesus knew exactly what Thomas needed. Thomas needed to touch physically. Simon needed help and healing emotionally. And he takes him aside and he says, Simon, do you love me? And Simon says, of course, Jesus, I love you. Then feed my sheep. They go through this ritual three times. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three times. And I think it's three times a threefold affirmation of love standing at the charcoal fire that wipes out the threefold denial of standing at the charcoal fire. Jesus is saying to Simon, I, I believe you. You are still the rock. You are not defined by the failures that are behind you. You are not defined by the choices of your past. You are defined by the choices you make as we move forward. You are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You can start again. That's what Easter is. Easter is this opportunity for do-overs. Easter is this opportunity to start again and to start fresh. And that's precisely what the risen Christ does for us. He knows our failures and he knows our fears and he knows the places we have blown it. Blown it and he loves us. And he believes in us. And he comes to us to offer us healing and forgiveness. Physically, we see the reality of the resurrection. Emotionally, we see the beauty of God's amazing grace. And finally, a third question that I, I think helps us is to ask the question, what do, we, what do we learn here theologically or spiritually? What, what do we learn here about the Christian faith? The story, of course, is about forgiveness. And it's clear the story is also about resurrection. Christ conquers death, but he also resurrects us. He gives us new life. That's the good news of Easter. God's amazing grace and love for us. But don't miss what Jesus is saying. There's really a three, there's really a three points to this, right? There, there is the forgiveness, there is the restoration of community, and then he says to him, if you love me, feed my sheep. And his point is the way, the best way to show love to God is to feed his sheep. See, God's not interested in burnt offerings or sacrifices or long, verbose prayers or painfully pious expressions. 
He is interested in how we love. Love is the authentic sign of discipleship. Love for others is the real symbol for us if we're going to be people who love Christ. He wants us to follow him and to imitate him in those ways. He says, follow me. Follow after the way I do things. Forgive like I forgive. Love like I love. And he wants us to know that love makes the difference. Jesus doesn't simply just forgive Peter. He commissions him, or maybe he recommissions him. Commissions him for ministry by telling him, feed my sheep. Peter is not just forgiven. He's not just drawn back into the community. He's giving meaningful work to go do. And I'm afraid this happens to us. I'm afraid that sometimes we can fall into a pattern of understanding that we're forgiven. And then understanding that we're a part of a community. And then we just live in those two. Instead of hearing the words of Jesus that say, follow me, if you really love me. It's more than being forgiven and being restored to the community. It is being sent. It is to go out. It is to feed my sheep. The original language there, it really boils down to take care. It's more than just food. It's take care of my sheep. We're called, all of us, to share in the work and ministry of Jesus. Can I be so bold to say that I think that this passage has Jesus saying, you say you love me, you can't love me unless you're loving my sheep. And he doesn't say just love the lovable sheep. He doesn't say just love the, the, certain, the certain types of sheep. I think he's saying you can't love me unless you really love my sheep. You can't say I love Jesus and not live out the commission. See, it's not enough to just live in the being forgiven and the being part of the community. It's to love Jesus means to follow me. Go do what I do. Love how I love. Forgive how I forgive. You can't be a disciple without being a discipler. Love is lived through action. And here's the deal. We, we don't always do it well. In fact, sometimes we fail in spectacular ways. But Jesus does not give up on us. Ever. Rather, he invites us to try again. And he brings encouragement and nourishment. And that's part of what brings us together on Sunday as well. To find encouragement and nourishment to be a people who go out and follow in this call that he has given us to our lives. This commission he calls us to go out and serve the sheep that God loves so much, even the ones that others don't love very well. He loves. Jesus isn't just talking to Peter across the fire. He's talking to me. And he's talking to you. And he calls you by your name. And calling you by your name, he knows you. He knows you inside and out. He, he, knows, he knows the charcoal fire experiences of your life. He, he knows all of those things. And he calls you by name. And he says, do you love me? And he may say, oh, of course, I, I love you. I'm here at church today. I'm putting up with Chad. Um, he says, no, 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 no. Do you love me? Because if you love me, you've got to go. If you love me, you got to feed my sheep. All my sheep. If you really want to be my disciple, come follow me, he says. You got to go. 
are we being a people who fall into the trap of giving thanks for the forgiveness that we've been given, giving thanks for the beautiful community that we are a part of, and we miss the third step of really showing love. If I really love, then I have to be a person who is willing to love outside of these walls and to love sheep that don't look like me and don't look like you and to love sheep maybe that nobody else wants to love. We have to be a people who begin conversations and live our lives in ways that begin to build relationships that people see the work of Christ in us. We've got to go to places and put ourselves in situations and get our hands dirty in ways that just begin conversations to talk about, about who we are and who life is and the difference that Christ has made in us. Feeding the sheep is sometimes really hard, but sometimes it's just as simple as just being the presence of God where you are and just opening up your life. There's a fourth step, not on the board. When you study the scripture and you can look at it physically, you can think about it emotionally, you can think about what does it say about the Christian faith, the fourth step is this, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? So usually each week I have to come up with that in the sermon. This week I'm going to let you answer that question. Because I think the question is just pretty simply this. Who are the sheep in your life you need to love this week? Who are the sheep? Who are the sheep in your life that if you're really going to say, I love Jesus, i got to love them too. And if I love Jesus, i got to go feed them too. And if I love Jesus, I'm going to have to act like Jesus when I'm over, over here with them. Who are the sheep in your life? God wants to do some pretty incredible things through you. And he's just waiting. Go, feed my sheep. Would you stand? Father, thanks this morning for just your presence. What a great day it has been to be here and, and to, to recognize you and to sing songs that talk about who you are, that you're a God who accepts us right where we are. And, talk about how great you are, to talk about that we have a, a hope and a faith that's not in the circumstance of today, and then to open your word and to hear this story, the story of Peter, who we, we so identify with, because we are a people, I think most of us here are a people who have stood by the first charcoal fire at some point in our life and points along the way. Maybe it's not with our words like Simon, but maybe it's through our lack of words or our lack of action. We've been a people who haven't always represented you well, but we're a people who want to jump in the water and run to you on the beach. And we're a people who want to do better, and we're a people who want to answer that call that says, follow me. And we're a people who want to go out into the community in which we live and look for sheep that don't even know they have a shepherd, who have not heard the voice of the shepherd, who when the shepherd calls, they don't even know to come. For the only way they'll know the voice of the shepherd is if they hear the voice of your people. We're people who are in this very room. So God, give us voice and give us action and give us sheep to see and eyes to see the sheep you see. Maybe they have targeted names on them or maybe they're just the people that you place us right in our path not even knowing they're there. Help us to be a people who love and to be defined by that love. If somebody says, who are those people out at Sandpoint Nazarene? The answer might be, 
They're the people who love the sheep. God, would you go with us? You have been with us. Now walk with us. Give us strength to live our faith outside of these walls. So when another see us, they see a glimpse of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord bless you. And love more than words.